Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. I'm actually returning to the stage this month, which is going to be weird, but FYI, I will plug that later. (laughs) I am bringing on a really fantastic guest on today, as recommended by a former guest, Jordan Kensley, who could not stop praising this person's name. So I am excited to bring on the show AMD, aka the Queen of Sexy, aka host of the very popular podcast, Yes, a Stripper. AM, are you over, are you over there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Yay! So I'm just waiting for you to stop talking about all the amazing things. Um, but thank you. Yes, hello. Yes, and that's like just not even like the tip of the iceberg. You do so many things. Like, I didn't realize how much of a serial entrepreneur you were. <laughs> I know. I don't know if it's a good thing or not. You know, I, I question that. I start a lot of things and, you know, I don't know. I... I try to compare myself to people in history every now and then I think it's great (laughs) yeah thanks I I do do a lot thank you yeah yeah you've definitely done so much for one the stripping community to the pole dancing community and like you have so much to share you were such a great resource I'm excited to just kind of get into it all with you over the next hour and a bit so (laughs) yeah Yeah. so (laughs) I kind of like introduced you in terms of like what I know of you from the surface but I'm sure you can give yourself a better introduction um would you like to tell the audience what you do who you are where you come from and go well that (laughs) is like I could write a book um (laughs) I yeah you're right I'm a serial entrepreneur I'm a serial let me start this thing um I love to throw spaghetti noodles on the wall and see what sticks um yeah and then some things don't and some things do like I had a small web development company for a little while and um that didn't stick which is fine um Mm. But I mostly, um, you know, I've been a sex worker since 2002, and mm-hmm. I have uh, been an advocate for a while for people, and then that turned into activism. And uh, to be completely transparent, right now I'm in a state of, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, and I'm about to go into a bit of a hibernation of sorts and oh, wow. reassess and reevaluate everything that I'm doing because I've not uh, allowed myself time to process from the trauma that was my accident that right. then eventually turned into a larger amputation. Um, wow. And or to process the trauma of what we've gone through as a globe or yes. the trauma of, uh, you know, what's been happening in my own personal home life, which I don't talk about. Mm. Uh, publicly. So there's just been like, you know, like the rest of the world, I'm going through some shit. And Mm -hmm. what I don't do, like most normal people do, is take a break and take care of oneself. And so I'm preparing to do that and then determine like my next moves in the world. So who I am right now is someone who is deeply passionate about making and leading towards change in the world with so many things. A person that um, is recognizing that if I don't heal myself, then I can't accomplish the very large goals and dreams that I have. So um, I am a person that is tired Mm -hmm. and um, uh, drained, but also like extremely grateful for all of the things. So I'm, I'm rather complex quite honestly. I'm, I'm rather, I'm a rather complex person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's me. Yeah. (laughs) We're definitely going to get into all that. And I'm actually really glad that you brought that up and you're actually taking the time and you, you're now realizing, okay, I need to step back and, you know, take a look and reassess where I am with life or with work and with everything. And that's so, so necessary. And sometimes it's just so easy to just get caught up with whatever and everything that you're doing that's just like, oh my gosh, I am burnt out. Yes. So 
<laughs> the hibernation yeah. is well deserved, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm very excited about it, actually. Yeah. I am looking forward to hearing your story in terms of you mentioned you've been, I guess, a sex worker, I would assume a stripper since 2002, which makes you OG because that's uh-huh. like a good amount of time. You have tons of experience to share. Uh-huh. Um, would you uh-huh. like to start at the beginning there and in terms of like how you got started, like what your story is? How did yeah. you fall into sex work? Well, I had been obsessed with sex workers since I was about 13 when I discovered a drawer full of Playboy and Hustler magazine in my grandpa's drawer. Oh my god! In, in my yes. house. <laughs> Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> Takes all the credit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was tasked with cleaning out his drawers one day as a young child and found this just treasure trove in the third drawer down of nothing but nudie magazines, which um, was just extremely eye-opening for me um I felt I was just so connected to the women there and I felt like that was just something that I also wanted to do and it's a very interesting thought process as a Mm -hmm. young person to look at that and be like that's what I want to do um because there's not you know you talk to some other people that would have seen that at that age and would have been like afraid of that or Mm. thought it was weird and gross. And then I, you know, I've met other sex workers that are career sex workers that are similar in that they wanted to do it from a young age, like Mm -hmm. not at the young age. We didn't, I didn't want to do it at 13. I was very aware that that was something that I would do when I got older. I, I wasn't trying to do that at that age, but I looked at it as like, this is something that I could do in the future. And it never went away. Like I kept going back to that when I was like 16, I had joked about it at my workplace. And (laughs) at the time my boss was friends with my mom. And so it got back to my mother that I was making, (gasps) I want to be a stripper jokes at 16. Oh my gosh. But (laughs) in reality, that was, that was real. That was me manifesting what I wanted to do with my life. Totally. Um, and, and everybody at the time blew it off, like, oh, she's just a kid. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Right. I very much knew what I was talking about. I was planning for my future. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, there were people that stood in my way. There was several times that people would try to talk me out of, you know, first I wanted to try nude modeling. That felt less scary mm, than okay. being a stripper on stage in front of strangers. Um, and I got talked out of that. And then Mm. I told my mom, okay, like I found this strip club. It's hella close. I want to do that. And, you know, she kind of put the kibosh on that. And then I told my boyfriend later, like a year later, like, Hey, we're hella broke. I've always wanted to be a stripper. Like, how about I try that? And he's like, no, no girlfriend of mine will ever be a stripper. Uh, So I just kept getting talked out of it. (laughs) Right. Um, and then with I was with that same boyfriend one day, and we were buying um, dinner at Taco Bell with nickels and dimes. And that was the night he had decided, like, okay, I guess it's okay. Like, why don't you try it? Because we need money. Okay. We need to eat. Yeah. And so it was because we were so broke that he then decided to support me in that decision. Interesting. Um, right. And then in true fashion um, – <laughs> Then started living off of my money, um, yeah. so that didn't last very long. I, I figured very quick. I figured out very quickly that that was not it. Yeah, no, um, no. <laughs> yeah, so that's really you know it. It was basically I had always wanted to do it, and there were a ton of hurdles, and I just kept pushing through. I mean, I don't give up very easily. No, so <laughs> doesn't. Yeah, does you strike me as a type too? So yeah. <laughs> So, so that's what happened. And then I went in and I, you know, I auditioned and I got a job and then like the rest is history. And then I just like killed it. You know, I just was like, this is it, you know, like this is what I want to do for a fucking long time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then look where you are now. So, (laughs) so many questions here. So this began at the ripe age of 13. When you found your grandpa's Playboy magazines, like, did you have any idea like what, that what did you have an idea in terms of like did you know what you were looking at like did you have an understanding at all or were you like wow there's these amazingly beautiful women in this spread of magazine 
like how do I do that? Like I just want to increase yeah, what your thought process more like was. the latter. I don't think shoot, you know, that's a great question. I don't <laughs> know fully because like before that, several times I had found randomly like here and there like one porn magazine and I remember being very like curious about it never mm-hmm. like ew that's gross but more like what are these people doing like yeah. what is this you know um, right so I was very curious about sex at a, at a young age I think we all are yeah <laughs> um, definitely <laughs> yeah but I was curious in a way where I just I wanted to just be involved I wanted to try things and like I was the one pressuring the neighborhood kids like let's make out you know like <laughs> that was me <laughs> so like let's just see what it's like right <laughs> you know so um I don't think I understood I think I just saw the glamour of it the mm-hmm. beauty of it and I just I wanted to be free right um and I don't think I understood that that type of work comes with these issues that are like uh you know because we live in a patriarchy type issues or that that line of work comes with stigma I didn't I don't think I really fully understood that yeah um yeah I just saw freedom is what I saw when I looked at them that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also just curious and like, because there, there have been so many great guests on the show that have had a similar kind of, oh, I don't know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Realization, Picker. maybe? Yeah. Or yeah. something. And and like yourself, it's, it's happened at a young age and they're like, you, they see a girl either in a magazine or maybe a video or something and, they, and they're just like, I want to be her. I've heard that so many times. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. It's kind of like, you know, one time I said to my mom, I I said something like, oh, you know, I was just having a bad day and I was like, why, why is this my job or something like that? Or, or why did I aspire to be this? And she's like, why do people want to be teachers? Why do people want to be astronauts? Like Mm -hmm. you just wanted to be what you wanted to be, you know? And it's like similar, you know, if you talk to an astronaut, they will tell you one day I saw an astronaut on TV and I was like that what I want to do yeah and that that's what happens to career sex workers some some not all you know I'm mm-hmm. not speaking for everyone but I've talked to plenty where they've seen sex workers at a young age and they're like that's what I want to do and like why the fuck is it any different that we choose that as a profession than somebody who chooses to be a police officer from a young age or yes. a, a teacher or a scientist like yeah there's no difference there is no difference and like why are those revered professions versus like any type of career in sex work like there's so much of that double standard that is just still ongoing to this day (laughs) yeah exactly but yeah we'll get into that so um sure so you started working in a strip club tell me about your experience your first time there if you can recall I can recall. I, <laughs> I went to, um, I guess the, the club I auditioned at was a high end. How do I say this? Racist. <laughs> oh um, no. Oh, privileged. <laughs> um, you know, it was Spearmint Rhino and Van Nuys. And at the time mm-hmm. it was one of the bougiest places in Southern California to be a stripper. And that was the first place I auditioned. And their response to me was, you will get eaten alive here. You should go to our sister club, the Blue Zebra in North Hollywood. Oh. Well, there was um, a smaller percentage of white dancers there. And I basically gentrified the place. Um, oh, I'm gosh. not proud of that. But that is what happened. I went there. I, you know, I I grew up with a a cheerleading and dance background. So I was very Mm -hmm. acrobatic. So I got very accustomed to being acrobatic on stage Mm -hmm. very quickly. Um, And I was very young. I was 21. And I had big, huge tits. And I'm blonde hair, blue eyes. And, um, you know, I did really well there. Because I worked with a lot of black and brown dancers. Mm -hmm. And... I am the epitome of American female. And um, at the time, I wasn't aware of my privilege. And I look back and I think, wow, you're a fucking asshole. You were an asshole. No wonder why 
So then the dancers were pissed off at you perpetually. um, And because I couldn't understand. I didn't understand. I was like, I'm nice. Like, I I was just doing my job. You know, I I did it really well. And I didn't realize at the time that part of the reason why I was doing so well is because I was in the process of gentrifying the place. And and so I, I stayed there for about six months until my wings got really big. And then I left. And then I went to the bougie spots, <laughs> like the Rhino in Vegas and right. um, the Spearmint Rhino in downtown. I was a Rhino, a Spearmint Rhino girl for a long time. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I uh, it, it was it was a great place to get started. But I wish that I had been more aware at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad to hear. That's so, so yes. sad. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it my is. gosh. But you know what? You, you've come to that realization now. Like, what yeah. did you realize that recently? Or was that something, like, after you left, like, oh, my gosh, what did I do to this place? I think um, – I think it, it wasn't until recently, until mm. I had to examine – like really examine my, my, um, how deep my white privilege is and how far it got me. Um, and I've been doing that more so in the last couple of years than Mm -hmm. I ever had before. Okay. So, so yeah, I, I think that I always had known like that I shouldn't have been, you know, I shouldn't have been there. Mm -hmm. I just shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I didn't understand, you know, when I was 21 in 2002, we didn't have the community connections that we have now. Listen, no. I'm not condoning my behavior. I'm not condoning no, no. it. But the amount of things that I've learned in the last five years from community connection is mm-hmm. astounding. Yeah. So I agree. if I had been 21 five years ago, compared to my 21-year-old person in 2002, it would be two totally different scenarios because the, totally. the information we have access to now is so grand. Yeah, you know? I completely yeah. agree. Like, I feel like even as an Asian Canadian, just being – I'm so much more aware of the injustices that are happening okay. around the world. And I just feel like – and I'm 31, and okay. I feel – People in their early 20s, even teenagers now, are just so much more woke. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all these yes. resources at their fingertips. They're so much more knowledgeable. Like, I feel like I'm mm-hmm. just trying to catch up and just trying to learn and unlearn a lot of things that I was taught. So it's right. it's been really like, oh, my gosh, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. We all do. We yeah. all do. Yeah. So interesting. So, okay, so that was your time at Spirit and Rhino, and you also won um, Spirit and Rhino's Entertainment Entertainer of the Year as well. I did. Yeah. How far into your career was that? Four years. Oh, wow. So I had um, did the comp. I won the third one that there ever was, and I had been in the first two. And in the first two, I didn't get past the first round. And when it came to the third round, the third year, I was like, that's it. Like, there's no not winning this. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no way in hell I'm not winning this. And I did everything (laughs) that I needed to do to win it. Um, Because I was always of the mindset, whatever you do, strive to be the best that you can be at that thing. Of course. And for me, winning that title was indicative of, you know, proving to myself, which was important to me at the time, mm-hmm. that I was the best. I was the best. I'm the best. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was really important. <laughs> um, but it was not an easy thing to win. Right. It was very hard to win that, that competition. Very hard. And also acknowledging that, I also was moving up in that competition because of my privilege. Let's be real. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. if for anybody else, it would have been a lot harder. For sure. Yeah. What were the judging like? What if you can remember? What were the judging criteria for that? 
or was it all just su- completely subjective? No, it was it was a whole myriad of things: oh, costume, okay. personality on stage, interaction with the audience, mm-hmm. uh, theme. Like, how well did you stay on theme? Um, Poll, you know, your level of poll tricks was evaluated, and it was like an all around thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so similar to how competitions are run up here, too. So really cool. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Huge title. Yeah. Huge, huge title. Yeah. Did winning that title kind of improve your, I don't know, merit, I would say, in terms of, like, your stripping career? Did, did it have any effect at all? Or or is it just, like, something, like, nice to have or, or like, a validating tool for you? I think the latter, it was validating. It was nice to have. I mean, also at that time, you know, there just wasn't as much opportunity as there is now, especially for sex workers. It was, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the club. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I had a tour, which was cute, but in order to get a bigger tour at that time, you would have needed to have been a porn star. And, oh. um, you know, I wasn't. Yeah. So I did the tour within the Spearmint Rhino locations themselves around the country. Yeah. And then um, I didn't really tour after that. You know, I got some photo shoots and there's like huge pictures of me inside Spearmint Rhinos around the world to this mm-hmm. day. Nobody knows who I am, though. You know, it's <laughs> not like they're like, hey, that's Jersey. <laughs> right. AKA AM. They don't like nobody even knows me by Jersey anymore. That was my stage name back then. Um back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like nothing other than to say that I won this title, that I'm such an OG stripper, that I have this amazing title. Like that's really all the good it does me. Yeah. You know. Um at the time it was a huge sense of accomplishment. Yeah, for um, sure. And I think for me at the time, it was almost like, see, mom and dad, <laughs> I'm the best stripper in the nation. <laughs> I did it. You know what I mean? I totally got it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay, so you mentioned you get created on pole tricks. I wanted to ask, so around this time, I feel like that's when – pole dancing started to gain more traction as a, like a, a way to work out a new way of fitness and stuff um can you tell me about that and your involvement with the pole dancing community if you want to kind of move over into that kind of conversation yeah um yeah, so when I was in the strip club um, in about, uh, like, 2004, like, Sheila Kelly became a thing, and she was on Oprah, and mm. we were kind of pissed. We were like, first of all, y'all aren't doing it right, <laughs> and you're teaching everyone on national television how to do it not right. Like, that is not what we're doing. Yeah. Um, second of all... No, stop teaching civilian women how to do that. Like, that's our job. Mm -hmm. That would be, like, us taking your jobs. I can't explain it. At the time, we were very defensive and pissed off about it. And then a lot of strippers remained pissed off and defensive about it. And I started to change my tune because I started to connect deeply with my whorephobia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I was very upset with the way the stripping industry was evolving. And here in Los Angeles, something that a lot of people don't know about is Los Angeles at the same time in the early two thousands, the strip clubs specifically were going through a hell of a lot of changes all at once. Oh. And it greatly affected the, our economic um, the economic impact it had on the dancers specifically was was huge, and there caused there was a, a very large shift in what types of activities were happening within the strip clubs around that time because of the economic impact of not only the recession mm-hmm. but also the media, the local media here was putting out um, information that said that all of the strip clubs were banning lap dancing, oh. and so. 
It was up for a vote and discussion, right? But it was never banned. But they were Mm. falsely they were they were giving misinformation. Typical. Yeah. Right. And so people weren't coming in. So not only were we experiencing economic hardship as a nation, as an area. Now less people were coming in because they're like, well, I can't get lap dances anyway. It's a, there's a three foot rule. It's like, no, they were oh. just discussing it and that never passed. And right. then at the same time, there was trafficking happening, which isn't mm. ever being talked about where they were bringing these women over from um, Europe and a lot of Russian and Ukrainian women over and they were very young and they were very beautiful and they were just just operating on a totally different level as the rest of us. Um, And I look back on it and I'm like, yo, y'all were trafficking those women. Like, I don't even know because we were never, they never got close to us. We never really were able to have an open conversation or dialogue with them. Number one, they barely spoke any English. And number Mm. two, it was like, they just didn't interact with the rest of us. And so mm. I look back and I think, I wonder if they were okay. Yeah. At the time, though, it was like, man, you're so young and so gorgeous and doing so much more than I am here at work. I can't keep, I can't compete. I couldn't compete with them. And I was mm. placing the blame in the wrong place at the time. I was mm-hmm. placing the blame on on them. On them, yeah. which I know now as a mature, wise, older person, that <laughs> I was not right. Yeah. Um, and so I got very angry with the system and with the dancers. And I was like, a part of the reason why I really needed to win Entertainer of the Year was to get that money, get paid, and get out. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you left. Yeah. Interesting. And so I left. Oh, wow. I left six months. I left the industry six months after my reign was over. And and the only reason why I waited six months is because when my reign was over, I was like, wait, wait, I'm not quite ready. So my <laughs> plan was, so what I did is I went to a strip club for the first time outside of a spearmint rhino thinking less people will know me. I can start to wean my way out of this. And the last six months were torture for me because- oh, I was really upset with what was happening in the industry, in the clubs, not realizing that what was happening was a product of the bullshit structure that the owners and the managers created mm-hmm. and what society created. Cut right. to circle back 10 years later. Now I'm fighting against all of those things that fucking made me leave in the first place. Not the dancers. Oh, it's gotcha. the people who yeah. put this shit in place and I finally woke up like oh y'all are fucking with my with my people totally like I need to make this right for my people yeah so wow so then you circle back so you've done like a full circle now so yeah I guess that's kind of the motivation in terms of like why you want to start soldiers of pole a stripper union movement Right. So I didn't okay. start Soldiers of Pole. Oh, okay. um, Antonia Crane is our founder. And gotcha. there are two other people who are also our founders who are no longer with the organization, but we wish them well. Okay. Um, and so I stepped in a little uh, uh, during a time of transition for them in the very, very early stages. And with my experience of building a community type organizations mm-hmm. I utilize those skills and helped build soldiers of pole and now it's run by like a whole big group of us it's it's not Yay. it's like there's like 15 to 20 of us now. oh wow so it's like more of like a it's collective really that's awesome yeah definitely yeah mm-hmm. that's super cool can you tell us a bit more about soldiers of pole and is that something that's just only based in the United States Right now, it's mostly based in the United States, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're open to all sorts of stuff. But we also are allies with, like, the Berlin Stripper Collective and East London Collective. Oh, cool. Uh, nice. Um, yeah, the Black Sex Worker Collective. And so, and they're all based all over different parts of the world. Yes. Um, and so... Uh, you know, there are their needs as strippers and sex workers in other parts of the world. Like we just, we don't understand them as well as we do here in the States, obviously. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're dealing with the Nordic model over in Europe and like, we don't, 
deal with that here. So it's like, it's a different set of uh, things. So I'm sure, I'm hoping as we grow, we will be able to accommodate more international, but it's, um, it's a challenge even just wrapping our heads around what things we're up against here in the States. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what you guys are up (laughs) against in the States. There's there's a lot. I was looking at your mission statement um, on the website, but if you want to go into your own words, um, a little bit about what causes you're fighting against and what you're fighting for. Yeah, I think number one, what we're fighting for is safe and sane workplaces, whether yes. or not that means people are unionizing or organizing or just understanding their rights. It's mm-hmm. our main thing is, do you feel safe at work? And are the people that are in charge, do, are they sane? Are they making (laughs) decisions based on your well-being? Are you implementing anti-discrimination policies? Are you Mm -hmm. implementing, um, you know, sexual harassment policies? Like, you know, we want we want to be able to unionize these workers, but but only but only if that's what they really want. Ultimately, our main mission is to make sure that they have all of the information that they need in order to feel safe or to get to a point where they feel Feel safe safe work. Right. That's our main thing. Yeah. And like even just some of the things that you were mentioning there, like those I would say are to be expected of any employer. But again, like a lot of that is missing, at least in Canada is missing from say strip clubs or agencies and stuff and also because of like the whole independent contractor model versus employee status which like a lot of us again speaking in Canada we are seen as contractors but again with the parameters Uh that like strip clubs and agencies are putting on us it's like well those are all things that are expected of employees so it makes it so incredibly frustrating and I applaud any any resource that is taking steps to unionize or to just make better working conditions for mm-hmm. anyone that works for a strip club. It's just, mm-hmm. these are just basic human needs and basic human rights. Exactly. And I know a little <laughs> bit what's happening in Canada as well. I Ooh, interviewed yes. Onyx Sachi. Yes. Yes, a stripper. So Yes. Yeah, yeah she was on a couple of weeks ago too and she had so much to say. And yeah. It's just a lot she's of She's amazing. Shit. Yes. She, she definitely is. Um, <laughs> so with the Soldiers of Pole, what do you guys, like how, there's so many people that are involved with that. Mm-hmm. And I guess are there certain different types of roles or things yeah. that people bring to the table? Like how is that structured? Absolutely. So our structure that we have now is semi-new. Um, we, you know, a lot changed for us when COVID hit. Everything was just like everyone else, completely yeah. turned upside down. And so it took us some time, like, with all of us dealing with our own personal trauma and nationwide and global trauma, like, to really get together what we wanted to do. But, yes, since in this last year, we have developed more roles and we have, like, these smaller committees within the organization. And those oh, cool. committees now, like, have clear, defined tasks and roles that they're all meant to do and then we intersect those committees and then we have like monthly general meetings where all of the committees show up and um and you know we're like streamlining things with new spreadsheet options and google drive folders and like (laughs) bulletin boards so we're really creating like this streamlined way of working with each other because our our group just grew very recently as a matter of fact in the last two months. And we have some fresh blood in the group, which has been really great because Mm -hmm. in the beginning it was just me after the other two founders left, it was just me and Antonia for months and months and months and slowly building and, and me and Antonia are responsible for a lot of things. So it's Mm -hmm. been such a fresh breath there having new people like we have a a creative department where their job is just to make creative and then we have a social media department where they just like 
you know, we talk about, oh, what do we need to post? What campaigns are coming up? We have special projects committees, and we have the treasury committee and the fundraising committee. And, so much stuff. And so, yeah, there's so <laughs> much stuff. That's and, incredible. You know, at first, we just started off as, we just want to unionize strippers. And now, <laughs> you know, we've really, like, wanted to listen to the community. And instead of telling them what we think they needed, we've really tried to listen like what Mm -hmm. do you need what do you want where do you need the most support and so it through that our organization as a whole has needed to create these other little committees to be able to fulfill the needs of the community that's awesome that's so great how you involve the actual community as you said instead of like us deciding what it is that you need let's just ask you <laughs> yeah simple what a concept <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're learning as we go you know? it's a work in progress <laughs> yeah i forgot yeah. to ask you about um united pole artists as well on the flip side oh yeah sure <laughs> if you yes. want if you want to speak about that there's, again there's so many yeah. things <laughs> so you know upa i have like these really mixed feelings about you know um I, I started United Pole Artists as a way to bridge the gap between strippers and pole dancers and to inform the general population on what pole dancing is and mm-hmm. what stripping is and what the differences and similarities are. And right. somewhere along the way, I, I got lost in really focusing on the pole dance community and not so much the stripper community, even though mm. I was always, I always maintained the roots of pole dancing are, is from stripping yeah. and pole dancing is sexy and sensual. And so through United Pole Artists, I would, you know, we created a movement called bringing sexy back. And I love that. And, and, yeah. And that was an era <laughs> of when the sexy and sensual movement of pole like really started to come out and become normalized with like everyday pole hobbyists and civilians. And that was a way for, for me and for our organization at the time to, to pay homage to that and to make sure, because there were a few of us that were very concerned that Mm. pole dancing was all about being athletic. And we, we didn't want such a huge disparity. And so we did bringing sexy back to make sure, like, don't forget you pole dance because it makes you feel sexy. Like, yeah. don't forget the real reason you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be sexy. And the purpose of bringing sexy back was to make people feel not alone in yeah. sharing the sensual part of themselves because it's considered so stigmatized and taboo by like their friends and family Mm -hmm. so like I'm proud of that yeah but at the same time I feel like the work I'm doing now is so much undoing of the work that I was a part of with United Pole Artists which was like it's not a stripper pole. I used to be so mad. Don't call it a stripper pole. <laughs> a stripper's not on it. And at the time, I don't know where the fuck my head was at, quite honestly. <laughs> but if someone calls my goddamn pole dance pole a stripper pole, I'd be like, yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but back then, I was, like, so adamant. Yeah. Like, I needed you all to change the narrative. And, like, that... I don't know where that shit, you know, honestly, (laughs) I do know where that came from. That came from straight up whore phobia and my need to make sure that civilians at the time were not labeled as sex workers and not labeled as whores. And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, everyone's a fucking whore. Get over it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah. So, and and I also want to say like, I hope a lot of what I'm saying sounds really pessimistic to the person that I was. Um, So I just want to put out there that like, I just keep shitting on my past self um, <laughs> in this interview. But yeah, I've learned a lot. You know what? We've all been kind of shitty people. And we've all... <laughs> yeah. I feel like most of us have. And a lot of us have gone through that, like, whore-hating, stripper-hating, sex-work-hating, yeah. I want to say phase. Because, again, like, that was something that was intrinsic in me that was like, okay, like, I am going to separate myself from those people, like I say, those exactly. quotations, those people. Yeah, and like, th- I mean, like, even still to this day, like, I'm still seeing that there's still that divide. 
between pole dancers and strippers with the whole like not a stripper hashtag and like just like other commentary that I see on Instagram and stuff too and like how do you feel about that like because you've been in the industry for so long both not a stripper how do I feel about not a stripper yeah and the divide and the divide I mean it's horrendous yeah it's so disappointing I mean yeah it's it's um it's dismissive it's Mm -hmm. degrading it's pointless it's harmful (laughs) yes it perpetuates stigma um it perpetuates this idea that if you're doing this but not this then you're better than those that are doing that Uh, thing that you're not doing right and in whose eyes are you better than and so Mm -hmm. I think anybody that is categorizing themselves and placing themselves in a better position because they're not doing what X, Y, and Z people are doing really have to examine in whose eyes are you trying to present your best self um, above these others? And, and, and how is that serving you? And more importantly, how is that serving everyone else? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I live by the credence that like, I I am here to serve and be a part of my community and to raise them up. Yeah, that's that's how I live my life every day. And so if and so my question to anyone who's like, well, I'm not a stripper and you are, is like, well, who are you trying to prove to that you're better than everyone else, and how does that help your fellow human being? Right. Well said. I want to say definitely well said. <laughs> Thank you. Like verbalize that in a way that I could not. <laughs> so thank you okay. for yeah, that. I think about these things a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, and like the work that you're doing, like with Soldiers of Poland, and just everything that you're doing, I think is is good work, and it just needs the word needs thank to be spread you. more, which is why you're on the show. So <laughs> thank you. Yes, <laughs> I guess I didn't really loop this in, in in a nice way, but I'm also I'm also curious about uh, your accident. Mm-hmm. as well I, I'm not sure if you feel comfortable going into that but if you'd like to share a little bit I'd love to hear a bit about that and I know some of the listeners are definitely curious as well yeah I'm I'm fine with talking about it because um you know my outlook on it apparently inspires people and so you know there's a lot of people out there that have random life-changing accidents and how you show up to that is um can really affect a long period of your life. So, like, the moment I felt safe as I was laying in the street when I got hit by the car, the moment I felt safe, because there was about 10 seconds of, is another car going to run over me moment, um, the first thing I said to myself was, stay present in every Mm -hmm. moment, and don't go ahead of each moment because then you will drive yourself crazy. I literally had that very clear moment with myself and that is how I proceeded. And I look at that now and I think, Oh, that was a survival tactic. Mm. That wasn't because people like, how were you so clear headed in that moment? I'm like, (laughs) I I don't think I was being clear headed. I think, that my my brain was like, bitch, you about to survive this, and you need to focus. So survive, survive, survive. You know? So, um, so I have been in that mode since that night. Mm-hmm. Hence, why today I tell you, and I'm telling the public, I need to go away and hide and think about and deal with my trauma because yeah. I because I live so presently from then until now. I've had very little opportunity to connect with the missing parts of my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so while that's been helpful in allowing me to never stop, because if you ask anyone that knows me from that day of that accident, I have not stopped. I was day three in the hospital sending emails and on the phone with people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. You and that was after off. two major surgeries. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying that that is a healthy thing. Um, I'm just saying that that's <laughs> what happened. Yeah. And, um, and I think also that I don't, I don't often appreciate the gravity of I could have died that night. Um, so, but I think I do like inherently in some way. And so mm. I've, I've been so e- it's been so easy for me to learn. I, I can't explain it. It was like that night, that moment was mm-hmm. like a complete shift in, in everything for me. And so right. many things it was a complete shift. Okay. And I'm not really fully allowed myself to acknowledge that shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, as like, I, I would say in, in hearing this, like it was literally life changing. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and I, I'm, if you look at some of my posts in the past, it's like, so what? I just lost some carbon. No big deal. On to the next thing. Like that's how <laughs> oh I gosh. treat it. Wow. You know? Um, and that's, what's allowed me to continue on. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm just not, I'm not connected with that missing carbon. Right. Well, I'm really looking forward to you just taking a rest and unplugging and disconnecting for a bit and just go into hibernation mode and (laughs) stuff like that. So, um, I want to ask like in terms of like rehabilitating, Mm-hmm. yourself what has that process been like for you and what are you currently doing at the moment well when I walk around the house I walk slowly and I think about rolling through my foot and engaging my upper thigh muscles <laughs> that's what that <laughs> looks like right now <laughs> I ride a stationary bike um, my left thigh muscles got so weak that it's like um, like sometimes when I step like my knee hyperlocks because mm. my my leg doesn't can't control my knee from locking oh. out because my leg muscles just aren't as developed as they once were and right. so i i do the stationary bike and i do the slow walking so that i can avoid my knee from jerkingly um, straightening so hard because I don't want to damage my, my knee socket, my knee joint, you know? So, um, and gosh, therapy, physical therapy, trying, trying to dance. I've decided I will be dancing this evening, um, in my stripper heel, Yes, you know? Um, and that I'm hoping will give me, um, not only build up my strength, but my spirit as well because For sure. as a stripper and dancer you know we love dancing yes we so. do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well there's definitely some questions in terms of your recovery and stuff too so i'm just gonna leave that till then but i guess why don't we move on to q a <laughs> sure we can do that yeah there's some big questions here so and this is more this person wrote in And it's not even a question, but it's just, I guess, your general opinion on FOSTA-SESTA and how it affects Instagram for both pole dancers and sex workers. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, my thoughts are that FOSTA-SESTA affects artists, the fat community, Mm -hmm. the LGBTQ community, black and brown bodies. Uh, It also affects um, the very people that it claims to protect. Yes. Um, and, and it affects athletes and women and pole dancers. So, Lots. you know, I just want people to understand that FOSTA SESTA is not here to fuck up sex workers and pole dancers' lives. It's here to fuck up everyone's life. Mm-hmm. And the, the new laws that are coming up are in answer to the failures of FOSTA and SESTA, which will make the internet an increasingly horrid place for human beings to be on, especially oh. if you're artistic or expressive in any way. Mm. Um, if you're like a juggler wearing all your clothes, you'll probably be fine. <laughs> yeah. If you're a, a volleyball athlete on a beach in a bikini, you probably won't be fine. In fact, we're already seeing examples of athletes like that being deleted from oh, wow. social media, like their images being deleted for sexually explicit content. Oh my gosh. So, 
Yeah. So basically, we just did a whole seminar. A few sex workers and I did a yes. panel seminar. Just last mm-hmm. week, right? I missed it. Yes, I was with Samantha Sun, Jordan Kensley, and Onyx Black. Yes. And um, we explain in detail what FOSTA SESTA has done and why we need to repeal it mm-hmm. and what these other laws are coming up behind FOSTA and SESTA to make up for FOSTA and SESTA's failures. Um, oh, so gosh. it's bad. We need to repeal it. If yes. you go to everybodyvisible.com and click on the seminar and take action button, you will find a letter you can copy and paste oh, to okay. ask your politicians to repeal FOSTA, SESTA and FOSTA. It does not, it has not done anything in the way that we can see statistically with tangible reports of how it's curbed online sex trafficking. In fact, the majority of sex trafficking does not happen online. Mm. The majority of it happens due to very poor and fucked up immigration laws. Mm. Um, That's the majority of human trafficking. Um, And then another part of human trafficking are young people, mostly poor, mostly black and brown, that are dealing with troubles at home Mm -hmm. that run away and get caught up with the wrong people. So that's also another big way that sex trafficking happens. Yes. Sex trafficking online, sure it happens. Not to the degree that it's happening offline. And also creating these laws for the internet has not helped the on-ground sex trafficking that's also happening or the on-ground human trafficking because... In a lot of cases, human trafficking leads to sex trafficking. So human trafficking is actually the larger problem, which mm-hmm. then leads to sex trafficking. But these lawmakers are so obtuse in their thinking yes. that they just get stuck on, we must save the children on the internet. Yes. So let's let's control the adults on the internet, lower the user age of uh, users on the internet, which oh is God. 13 for social media oh and then protect the children online. And it's like, <sighs> doesn't make any sense when you put it that it way. It doesn't because the children see other adults posting and they want to post. And now yeah. guess what? The children's content is online free for, for people who shouldn't be viewing children's yeah. content online. So exactly. it's like, you know, it's more of a health issue and we really need to educate people about sex yes 100% and all 31% of the listeners that are American on this on this particular show please sign um copy and paste that letter I'm going to post it in the show notes below so you guys can easily get that and there will be um an expert on human trafficking coming up in the show on the show in a couple weeks so just stay tuned for that whole conversation yeah yeah I'm really stoked like one of my um so a university professor from the school I graduated in is has decided to come on the show and speak about human trafficking and sex work and all the fun things and how it gets all jumbled up together and it shouldn't be jumbled up together so that should be a good episode but that's coming up but back to you (laughs) because you are here present in this moment um do you have any recommendations for talking points to engage people who judge sex workers and change their mind or to change their mind i think whoa that's a big question it is a big question I would say ask, I really love engaging people in a Q&A session. If I'm trying to get somebody to sort of change their perspective, I spend a lot of times asking them questions mm-hmm. to kind of get themselves in a place where they back themselves into a corner so that they can slow down and then critically think yes. themselves. Because I find that if you allow people to critically think on their own and come up with a, a solution or a new perspective on their own, they're much more likely to adopt that perspective mm-hmm. as opposed to you telling them what their perspective should be. Yes. So I, I ask questions and I think it would depend on the person specifically who you're talking to. Yes. You know, if you're talking to a highly religious person, it's going to be totally different than if you're talking to a non-religious um you know, heterosexual, patriarchal, white male. Yeah. 
you know, it's going to be two different sets of questions. And so, like, I guess the types of questions would be, what do you know about sex work? Mm-hmm. Do, do you know a mm-hmm. sex worker? Have you asked a sex worker what their life is like? Yeah. How have you learned about sex work? Through movies, the media? Totally. Well, well, don't you know that, like, what you see in movies and stuff, like, is largely not not really not real, real. And, you know just yeah. like just just really like kind of um playing into like common sense things that and and just and do it in a way that's not combative or aggressive yeah or condescending or defensive. Yeah, yeah yeah and just really getting them because I guarantee you is after that Q&A session, they will leave there and they will think about those questions on mm-hmm. their own while they're driving down the street for 20 minutes, you know, like, yeah, I get really com- com- complaint. I think about stuff a lot when I drive. <laughs> I, think, I don't think I'm yeah. the only one. So yeah, that's great. That's a questions. great approach. I love that approach in terms of like asking questions because that's how I'm. I try to gauge people that way as well when when people ask me or get defensive or ha- pose me with like weird questions about the type of work that I do. Like for example, I'm kind of using that approach with my mom because my mom is super religious <laughs> and very conservative and she has had some questions and I think she's kind of catching on to the type of work I do because I haven't been completely honest with her about everything that I do sure yeah but that's also like a tricky line because obviously obviously like she's my mom I want to have a good relationship with her but also like she's very catholic (laughs) Mm, so like she has that lens over her but I've been asking Mm -hmm. her oh well what what is it about like what do you think when you hear the word sex work like what does that mean to you and why is everything steering in a negative direction already like how does that make you feel like and stuff like that like I think it's such a great approach for you to engage your audience with like why they feel that way yeah and my whole thing too when anyone has like an issue with other people like wanting to talk about sex my my question is like why wouldn't we talk about the thing that has literally given all of us the life that we have now yeah why should we continue to not talk about that thing that is literally the reason for our current existence mm-hmm. yeah as simple as that so right <laughs> <laughs> um here's a question and let me see i'm just gonna say it do you ever get any odd requests in regards to your amputee mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure sure i do yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to cater to it more, and lately I have been turned off to catering to those types of requests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has something to do with my unprocessed trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone brought to my attention, because one of the things that I got asked to do a lot was to crutch around so, and I was oh. like, what the fuck is crutching around? And they're yeah. like, you know, like, be on your crutches and just, like, go around on your crutches. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I accommodated that for a while when I was on my crutches. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated from not really needing to be on my crutches, I became less and less inclined to want to fulfill those requests. Right. And someone had said to me, oh, it's probably because you know, you're so hell-bent on moving forward and getting better that going backwards and being on your crutches, it's just not in the realm of manifesting what I'm really looking forward to. Hmm. And so that could be a reason. Um, yeah. One of, one of the requests that I got that I had a really hard time with was, can you role play and talk about different, like basically make up different scenarios of how you lost your leg and I'm like no no No. man I can't do that sorry no I I can't I just I'm not I'm not a fictional storyteller no like and there's just something that didn't vibe with me yeah I don't judge them I get it it's a kink you know I'm trying Mm -hmm. to be open-minded um but for their sexual pleasure, they wanted to imagine different ways that I experienced trauma. And I just, 
didn't want to do it. Yeah, it just doesn't sit well. Like, I had an episode a few weeks ago on disability and fetish in the devotee community. Uh And the guest I had on, he has, um, what was it? muscular atrophy or something um, uh. something but anyways he's confined to a wheelchair and he's had a lot of requests and a lot of the the things and requests he's done he he caters to but then he, every now and then he'll get a request that isn't aligned with his disability and uh-huh. something about that for him it just did not sit well he's like i suffer from this surface like this specific thing i live with this but I'm not going to pretend that I'm something else to appease your your sexual appetite or whatever, I don't know, satisfaction that that person wants. Like, it's just just been odd. Yeah, but I've been able to do that in other scenarios as an able-bodied person. Mm. You know, as a sex worker, I've been able to accommodate those. So I don't know, and I wonder if it's just because... I'm just not there yet. Mm-hmm. I don't judge them for that being their sexual thing. What I will say mm-hmm. is when I lay down my boundaries, they're extremely respectful of those boundaries, which yes. I've experienced with other types of clients that when I try to lay down my boundaries, they try to negotiate and they try to convince me that my boundaries aren't valid. Mm-hmm. But with the devotee community, the minute I say I'm uncomfortable with that, they back up. And they say, "Okay, I'm sorry," good, and then they don't pursue it any further. Good, mm-hmm. I like to hear that. So, mm-hmm. and thanks for answering that question. It's a great question. Mm-hmm. And lastly, um, this person wants to know how is your recovery going? Overall, it's going really well. Like my my surgeons. I'm very fortunate to have amazing, talented surgeons. Mm-hmm. My body is extremely resilient. It always has been. I'm, I'm very blessed with a very strong immune system and a very strong body. I'm very blessed with the ability to remain calm and deal with things as they come. So mm-hmm. it's been good in that sense but it's extremely tiring I'm in pain often I Mm. get irritated that I'm not the strong able-bodied person that I once was um and then what that does is it causes me to be more kind to myself than I would have been before so I guess I'm grateful that (laughs) (laughs) I'm having to find moments and reasons to be more kind to myself I guarantee you if I had all of my limbs I would not be as nice to myself as I am these days um so it's really helped me be kinder to myself so I'm I'm very grateful in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. the recovery overall is going very very well good yeah it's so nice to hear I'm so glad and I mean, <laughs> this brings us to the end of the episode today. But before I let you go, where can we find you? You can follow my personal Instagram account and Twitter at the Queen of Sexy. Make sure you type in the and make sure you type in my entire handle. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't find me because I've been shadow banned forever. Um, mm. I also have an amazing podcast that I just adore oh yeah yes, the stripper podcast yes. yeah my most exciting thing about that podcast is um I'm really hoping to um turn that into a community space and oh. not just one where my voice dominates that's kind of the next journey for that that I haven't said publicly to anyone yet <gasps> by the way um, Yay, you heard it here so, first <laughs> yeah exactly so yes a stripper podcast excellent And um, I really encourage everyone to follow Everybody Visible and to learn more about social media discrimination and how the policymakers of the United States are making your social media experience a less palpable one. Mm -hmm. So um, please tune into everybodyvisible.com and follow us at Everybody Visible on Instagram and Twitter. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Awesome. Well, it was a lovely hour of chatting with you today, AM. I'm so glad to have had you on and for you to share just your incredible wealth of knowledge on stripping, on pole dancing, on injustices 
just everything that's going on, discrimination. Like there's just yeah, there's just a lot going on, and this is a lot yeah. to pack in an hour. And I'm actually glad we actually kind of stayed on time for once because lately my guests have been going like way over, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. But this is awesome. Yeah. Just keep it super focused and. Thank you so much. I just can't wait to keep up with you. And I really hope that you can take some nice time off. You definitely deserve it. And it's just way, way overdue. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. And don't forget new episodes every single Sunday. It's Strip by Sia on Instagram, my personal Sia Steph or on Twitter, Steph Sia. And we'll catch everyone in for another episode next Sunday. Bye. Bye. Listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern.